You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas with your host, Marissa Desitel. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Environmentally Speaking. Hi, everybody. I'm Marissa Desitel, an environmental attorney in Rhode Island, Massachusetts. And I'm Clarice. I'm coming in with questions, comments, topics, and uh, an update for all of you listeners. No, still don't like birds. Uh, I am joined today by special guest, Caitlin Townsend from the Net Your Problems Project. We are very excited to have her on today. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you for joining Hi. us. Hi, everyone. Okay. Hey, Caitlin. I, um, I've stalked you a little bit online, uh, which is a good thing, because if I was stalking you in person, this would be a lot weirder. But um, <laughs> I, I saw an article about you, I believe, in the, the Newport Daily News. And I reached out to Clarice and said, we have to talk to this woman. She seems like such a badass. I'm so interested in what she's doing. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But so our listeners have a little bit of information about who you are personally before we dive into your business. What can you share with us about who you are and what your background is? Okay. Well, yeah. So my name is Caitlin. Um, I live on Cape Cod. Um, I work for a company called Net Your Problem. It was started by my boss, Nicole, who's the owner of the business um, in Alaska in 2015. Um, But I started working for the company just in November. So not too long ago. So it's a new, new thing for Massachusetts. Um, I recycle end of life fishing gear. So I take fishing gear from fishermen, from net manufacturers, different people, and we recycle it. Um, we try to reuse as much as possible. We try to give it to artists and we also will chemically and mechanically recycle this gear, um, and give it a new life. Um, so that's my, my job with net your problem. Um, I'm also a big environmentalist. I spent a lot of time during COVID walking the beaches on Cape Cod. Um, I'm really inspired by Henry David Thoreau. And um, my dog is actually named Henrietta after Henry David Thoreau. Um, So I walked his beaches or our beaches and wrote about the difference between what he saw in the 1800s and what I see today. Um, And that journey led me to the marine debris industry. Um, I ended up getting a job with the Center for Coastal Studies as an intern for a year, working in their marine debris program. And that got me started on this whole marine debris fishing gear thing. Um, But actually, before that, I grew up as a commercial fisherman. My dad is a commercial lobsterman out of Provincetown. So from the second I was a little kid to today, I still... Um, fish with my dad and it's my biggest passion in life is advocating for fishermen um, and just really understanding the ocean through their eyes because just as much as you and I want to protect the ocean it's their livelihood and they would do anything to continue spending every single day on the water Um, so those are kind of like the parts about me that I like everyone to know but um, yeah uh, my job with net your problem is really exciting and I can't wait to see what we can do in the next coming years, but we've already done a lot um, in the last few months here in Massachusetts. Uh, okay, so like 
the best intro I think I've ever heard yep. on on any platform or venue. Again, a, a very sweet reminder of how much of a loser I am. You're doing so much for the environment and I'm hosting podcasts. So, no, you, you're a no, lawyer. No, I could no, never do what you do. No, we're not going there. I just, uh, I'm, it's a very impressive series of self-driven facts that have gotten you to where you are today. Uh, a couple of follow-up questions about what you said, I guess, just very quickly. Are you from Provincetown originally? I'm from Truro. Okay. Um, but so born and raised on that part of the Cape. Yep. Born and raised in okay. Truro. Um, my dad was, as I said, a fisherman um, and my mom was an artist or is still an artist. So very yes. like quintessential Cape Cod fishing oh, and yeah. art. Um, and yeah, we grew up in Truro, my sister and I, um, and my dad fished out of Provincetown. He actually also owned a fish market and restaurant in Provincetown as a kid, when I was a kid okay. until um, like the mid 2010s I can't remember exactly what year um yeah so Tro Tro's my home and um okay. Cape Cod itself I guess is my home I love all parts of the Cape but um, my heart is really where did, you, where did you go to school um I went to high school at Nauset which is a regional school in the Cape um which yeah. actually ties in a lot of environmental issues into their students there so I feel like that kind of sparked a lot of interest and then yeah. I went to college at Mass Maritime actually no kidding. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I went to mass maritime thinking like, oh, you know, I want to be on the water. I, I, at the time was fishing with my dad full time, um, as his deckhand in the summertime. And I was like, I just want to do something that's on the water. I don't really know what, but this would lead me there. Um, and I got a really good financial package. So couldn't really <laughs> say no to that. And I, uh, yeah, so I went to Mass Maritime and thought I was going to work on ships. I wanted to be like a, my my degree is in marine science, safety, and environmental protection. And I have a concentration in shipboard health and safety. So I wanted to work on like cruise ships or oil rigs as a safety and environmental officer. So like dealing with all of their trash, dealing with their like, you know, black water, Gray water, um, water. yeah, safety protocols on board. Um, And then COVID happened while I was still in college and I I graduated in 2021 and I moved back to the Cape full time, you know, like wasn't living in born for school Mm -hmm. and fell in love with the Cape all over again, kind of like in my roots and, and fishermen and, or fishing and my dad as a fisherman and like that realize that actually I don't want to spend, you know, eight to 10 months of my life away from my home. I want to be on the Cape and in Massachusetts. Um, and so that led me to the very long journey to net your problem. Um, but I'm stoked to have it as a job because uh, if you had asked me, if you had told me that this was a job I could have when I was a little kid, I would have said it was my dream job. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't, you know, didn't know this was a thing, but now I do. So (laughs) what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I mean, you're, you're, this is it. Um, yeah, I think that this is it. Like, I think that I, I could live forever and be happy with this job with net your problem. Um, Nicole, the owner is just an absolutely amazing person. And I'm so 
so lucky to have her as my boss. Um, she is really inspiring to me and just like works harder than anyone I know. Um, and she did not grow up as a commercial fisherman. So she grew up in upstate New York and started net your problem because she was a fisheries observer in Alaska and saw a need for recycling or reuse of end of life fishing gear. So we've mentioned net your problem a couple of times, but let's take it back a step. Let's tell the listeners, what is net your problem? You had mentioned the, I think you gave kind of a brief description of the recycling aspect of it, but Mm -hmm. let's start at the beginning. What is it? So it's essentially a company where we're a business that recycles end of life fishing gear. So we collect net rope line gill net kind of really anything you can think of in the fishing industry and take it to our warehouses. We have, you know, in Massachusetts, I'm taking it to my warehouse in New Bedford, Mm -hmm. or I'm mostly actually collecting it from there. People are bringing it to me in New Bedford. I have a 5,000 square foot warehouse where it's all stored, where then I um, sort through it and sort it out into the different types of plastic. Um, and what can be recycled is recycled, um, mostly shipped off to Europe um, and recycled there into the little tiny plastic beads that can be then used in injection molding. Um, so that's mechanically recycled. Um, and then whatever can't be mechanically recycled. So like mixed plastics, really dirty rope, um, stuff like that. And even some of the net um, is reused into art. A lot of it goes to artists, um, as much as, you know, cause that's, we follow a waste hierarchy that, um, like number one is obviously reduce the amount of waste from the fishing industry, but number two would be to reuse and repurpose. And number three would be to recycle. Um, so those are kind of the thing, the three things that we focus on, um, as a, as a business. And that's, almost exactly what happens. So when I'm at my warehouse in New Bedford, I'm collecting gear from fishermen. I'm sorting out um, different plastics. So I'm like cutting off edges of nets that are mixed plastic, or I'm coiling rope in into um, like bins. I'm weighing the gear that I'm collecting. Um, I'm just working on outreach. So those are kind of all of the things that I do in my like day-to-day life as an employee for Net Your Problem. Um, and then we'll also like kind of do like strike missions where like in June we'll be in Naknek, Alaska for the month and be, we'll be collecting end of life gear from fishermen in Alaska and recycling it there um, as a whole business. You know, like all of them, there's, there's four girls that work for the company. All four of us will be up in Alaska doing this together. Um, so yeah, where, that's, where are that's, the four of you all located? Are you all around the country? Yeah. So I'm, I'm on in Massachusetts. We have Bryony. She's up in Maine. Um, and then we have Nicole. She lives in Seattle and does a lot up in Alaska. So she's, Nicole does a lot of traveling. Um, and then we have Sarah and she is in Southern California. So kind of covering like all of the portions and, uh, actually Nicole and Sarah are in the Florida Keys this week, um, hosting workshops for fishermen down in the Florida Keys to try and, you know, teach them how to recycle their gear and kind of get something up and going down there. So who makes the determination about when fishing gear has reached the end of its life, as you have indicated? The fishermen. Um, Well, actually, there's 
I would say the fishermen, but then they're also like got regulations. I mean, you could have, especially I have some net in my warehouse that um, we work with a lot of net manufacturers and one that I work with is radars and they're in New Bedford. They build um, pretty much everyone's nets and everyone's scallop dredges. And I got from them, it's pretty cool. Some like net that has never been used. It's It was meant to be used in, in building a net but it's just like this bundled one color net that he had gotten. And then it had went out of regulation. Oh, oh okay. Okay. So he, yeah, he, he had that and was like, you know, going to use it to build, build a net and then couldn't. So then he's left with this product that is useless. Huh? So it, it came to me. So I would say there's two. Yeah. But the majority of what I'm getting is, is just like the fisherman's done with it. It's reached its end of its life. Like it's, you know, the ropes really chafed. It's, it's gotten weaker over time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been passed down from like grandfather to father, to son, to friend to whatever. And it's just, it's, it's done. Um, and, and being a commercial, having the background that I have, I can see that like it's uh it's you you look at it and you're like I wouldn't want to fish with that so okay and are you or is is the company going out and and doing any collecting of products that might just be floating in the ocean or washing up on shore so we do not do um like ocean cleanup or beach cleanups I mean we've hosted a few as a company but um you actually can't recycle that material the way that we do, um, because it's so fouled. It's so dirty. It has sand, it has like seaweed on it. I mean, you could repurpose it into art and that's what a lot of people do with marine debris. Um, but we, we can't recycle it unless it's extremely sorted and extreme and clean. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's the one difference that, um, that is out there beside between like organizations that do ocean cleanups as us is that we're like near shore. We're going to do, we're just collecting it before it hits the ocean. There's that preventative aspect, which is really nice too. It's before somebody decides I can't keep this or I don't know what to do with this. And you had in the South coast today article, there was a mention about people dealing with storage fees for stuff that they couldn't necessarily use. So I'm sure you're taking that off their hands, which is nice. Right. Like if you, I mean, even if you just drive around New Bedford, you look around and you see nets and you see pods and you see stuff stored everywhere. Like, I mean, my dad is lucky enough where he has enough property to store all of his gear on our property. But before that he pays, you know, rent on a piece of land that he stored Mm -hmm. all his gear on. And so it's the same for a lot of industry, a lot of fishermen in the industry, especially like the bigger companies, the bigger fishing companies that own like 10, 15 boats, they pay a lot of money for those yards to just store end of life gear. Um, and the other thing about it, that's interesting is it's kind of like a mindset switch because up until programs like net your problem, or even the fishing for energy bins that the national wildlife foundation put out. Um, I think I'm saying that, I think it's the national, I might be completely wrong. Um, there wasn't another option besides the landfill or to dump it overboard. Mm-hmm. So it's also being like, Hey, I'm here. I want your old gear. Please bring it to me. Um, and making that well-known is also a part of what we do. Yeah. How's the response been? How has been putting out the word and, and getting 
fishermen on board? Has it been an easy process? What's that like? Um, for, uh, I, at first, you know, when Nicole started in Alaska, it was just a lot of like, hi, I have this idea, you know, like, and she, she, she got, she's very convincing and got people on board and it's kind of been, it's not been very difficult. I mean, you have a conversation with a fisherman, you buy them a beer and you're like, this is what I do. And they're like 99% of the time. So stoked. I mean, it solves a problem that they have. Um, we all have and there's beer involved. Yeah. And there's beer involved. Yeah. So <laughs> the, that that's the thing, like, like right now it's a little bit difficult with fishing with outreach with a fisherman, just cause it's February. There's not people down working on the boats, on the docks. Mm-hmm. Like, but once it gets nicer out, I'll go walk the docks and be like, Hey, I'm Caitlin. I recycle end of life gear. And that's kind of just how we have spread the word. Um, a lot of dock walking, a lot of beer and it's, it's <laughs> oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Caitlin, it sounds like you do quite a bit of work with and communicating with um, the fishing industry folks in Massachusetts. My office does a lot of work with fishermen in Rhode Island. I'm just wondering if you're having the same experience that Rhode Island um, fishermen in the industry are having with respect to um, offshore wind projects Mm -hmm. and the potential future impacts and clashing between the offshore wind industry and the fishing industry are you hearing anything about these projects in Massachusetts from your contacts? Um, it's, I kind of personally stay out of it. Like I haven't made up my mind about the whole thing personally. Yeah. Um, I could go either way. I can understand all sides of it being like someone who studied environmental science and understanding other forms of energy but also coming from a fisherman, I can, you know, fishing family, I can get it. I have not really um, made up my mind about that. You know, I hear things, I see things on social media, um, but it has not been a topic that I've discussed with any of the fishermen that we use. Cause I know it is a topic that's like lightly treaded on and people have very yeah. strong opinions either way. Um, yeah. So it it is, yeah, it's not something we've or I have really experienced. Is it is it fair to say then that you're not anticipating an impact to the net your problem initiative as a result of offshore wind? You're no. not you're not worried about it kind of thing. No, not not from net your problem standpoint, no. Okay. Yeah. And and I know you talked a little bit about the connecting with the artists or shipping some of the things that can be recycled to Europe. How, what is that process like? How did you find the artists who are interested in this? Or how did you find the company or organization in Europe? How did all of that start and, and where does it go? Um, well, I actually don't know how Nicole started connecting (laughs) in Europe. She did tell me the other day, she looked up the shipping costs from Boston to Portugal and they weren't bad. So, um, that was, that was something that she, I think just because Europe is ahead of us on recycling technology, that it just was kind of the next best step. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure I've never Googled it, but I bet if you Googled like plastics recyclers, it would bring oh. you to a lot of things in Europe. 
Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's part of how Nicole connected with Europe. Um, mm-hmm. But um, from the artist standpoint, I really find them coming to me <laughs> because I think there is a lot of marine debris artists out there um, that just are constantly looking for material mm-hmm. and material that isn't going to cost them an arm and a leg. Um, so we do charge of a price. We are a business. We have to charge a price for fishermen or for artists to, to use our stuff. It's very minimal price, but, um, it's by weight. And, um, but that's mostly how we've, we've connected with artists. We have a bunch up in a lot, like up in the Pacific Northwest that use crab line to weave different things. Um, in Maine, we have a whole rope depot that's full of rope and, um, artists go there all the time to get stuff for art projects. Just the other day, I had an artist come and meet me at my warehouse and he was really interested in a lot of stuff I had. Um, so I find that they just kind of find you because they're so desperate for this material and not Mm -hmm. desperate, but they really want to use this material and you have it. So, um, it's been, it's been an easy connection. There's, I, it's, I really enjoy how, people find inspiration in something that I've seen my whole life because not until having this job and until I worked at the center for coastal studies in their marine debris program that I realized that people really took inspiration from fishing gear and from trash that is collected from the beach so it's it's a cool thing for me because I would have never thought that art could have been made out of this but it's just some of the stuff you see is just so beautiful Oh, that's awesome. And does your mom get first dibs being an artist? <laughs> she she's a she does more like graphic design and painting and stuff. So she doesn't do like sculptural art, but um I I wish she did because that would be really cool. <laughs> um but I think she does, she loves looking at it all and she's very um intrigued in the whole entire thing. So she I think she might find a little inspiration in what I do, but um she she doesn't use it, unfortunately. That's all right. This is a call to action to Caitlin's mom. Yeah. Mom (laughs) out there, maybe you should start making sculptures. (laughs) And you had mentioned the uh, rope warehouse up in Maine. Um, I think there's also, and I could be wrong, but there's also a rope swap project with the Lobstermen Association. Tell me about that. So we partnered with Mass Lobstermen's Association in Massachusetts to do rope swaps. So Um, We got funding to be able to buy new rope Mm -hmm. and exchange. So fishermen can bring me, lobstermen can bring me their rope. I weigh it. We'll give them a voucher. And then when our rope order comes in, they're able to exchange it for new coils of rope to build, um, to build lines out of. Um, So, yeah, it's a great organization or Mass Lobstermen's is really amazing. They do a lot of advocating for fishermen. and I, I love that. So it's, it's exciting for me to work with them because my dad's been a member of Mass Lobstermen since I was a little kid. And we've always gotten the, they make like a booklet every month or a newsletter that mm-hmm. comes out, we get it in the mail. So it's a kind of a cool thing to grow up and be like, oh, now I get to work with them. Um, but yeah, we're doing that, that rope swap with them, which is really exciting. Um, and that'll keep going on t- into the spring. Nice. And I think Marissa had mentioned earlier that she's over in Mass, uh, she's over in Rhode Island, and we do a lot of work with fishermen in Rhode Island. Is 
net your problem, is there any sort of Rhode Island expansion or just because you're located in Mass, can fishermen from Rhode Island also reach out to you? Yeah, I actually just talked to a fisherman from Rhode Island like two days ago. Um, so definitely welcome to reach out um, and we can we can talk about what they have. Um, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with any fishing ports in Rhode Island, but um, I'm going to go see what this guy that called me the other day has. So I'll get to kind of explore the area, um, which is cool. But yeah, Rhode Island fishermen are welcome to reach out um, to me. And how do people get in touch with you? But mostly by email or, or just calling my cell phone. Um, uh, and we, I don't know if I should say that out loud or. It's totally up to you. It's your cool. number, you get to decide. My my uh, email is Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N at netyourproblem.com. And my cell phone is 774-316-0417. Um, yeah. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes in case there's any. Uh, anybody with nets that they want Caitlin to look at. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, I actually enjoy the, the random phone calls I get from fishermen. They're like, uh, is, is this Caitlin? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, how's it going? And they're like, um, I have some nets I think you might want. And it's always like kind of a funny conversation, but then it ends up turning into like a really long conversation and you're on the phone for like 45 minutes talking about it. Um, so I've met some cool people through, through this job. It's, it's, it's exciting. Oh, good for you. I'm just, I'm like so happy to hear about all of the good work that you're doing and, and that the company is doing. It really warms my heart. Yeah. Thank it's you. Important. Yeah. yeah, it is important. It's, it is something that's so like near and dear to my heart and, you know, seeing the struggle that my dad has gone through in the last like five years or so. In Cape Cod Bay, our fishery, lobster fishery has declined a lot. Um, in Cape Cod Bay, we, you know, I think back to when I was 15 and we would go out and catch a thousand pounds, 2000 pounds, and now you bring in a hundred pounds. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that I've been like, okay, how can I support fishermen in another way? That's not just like making lobsters reappear. <laughs> Cause if I could do that, I yeah. would, but I can't. So this is another way. Um, but we're, we're taking steps as a business to, um, expand or my dad's business to expand. And we're, we just bought a federal permit. So we'll be fishing offshore a little bit next year, which is really exciting. Um, and him and I have always had kind of like a pipe dream to have a father daughter business where I really want to grow kelp um yeah that's like Ooh. my personal dream is to have a kelp farm um, okay yeah so him and I have always talked about doing that and um it's yeah yeah <laughs> very well, good cool. for you Caitlin you'll have to get back in touch with us if that ever becomes a reality I, I would love to hear about how you get that going I, yeah. I have a feeling that it might happen I hope so. I it's been a dream for like three years now. Um, it's huge up in Maine. Kelp farming is becoming big in Maine. Um, and um, it just hasn't quite hit Massachusetts yet. But there are a lot of rules around, you know, our like in Cape Cod Bay, you can't have vertical lines part of the year because of the right whales. And so there's all these different regulations. Mm -hmm. So it's it's gonna be a little bit harder to start in Massachusetts, but it's it's taking off. And I think, yeah, that's my little dream to, to 
my in in an ultimate world i would be kelp farming and working for net your problem so someday that'll happen <laughs> for you i love it hopefully someday soon because i yeah. want to go see a kelp farm yeah yeah me yeah they're awesome <laughs> So we're at about our, our half hour mark here. Um, that's usually where we cut things off. Um, yes. But certainly if you have anything else that you want to mention briefly before we wrap it up here, now's your chance. Mm -hmm. um, no, I just say, bring me, bring me your nets, bring me your rope. Let any fisherman in your life know. Um, and I'm here to talk and look at your old gear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Caitlin well, may or may not have promised beer as well. So yeah, and oh, a beer. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Caitlin. I loved yeah. having you on. I loved learning a little bit more about this and getting the chance to tell our listeners about it. So we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Yeah, I'm I feel honored. This is the first <laughs> podcast I've ever done, and I'm very excited about it. So <laughs> You can yeah. only, it's only upwards from here. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. But I'm honored to say that you guys were my first podcast. So yes. wonderful. I yeah. love it. All right, folks. Well, if you have any questions, comments, topics, have you been to a kelp farm? Do you have nets that you need to connect oh. us to? Reach out to us at help at desateliesq.com. You can hit us up on the socials. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, at Desatel Law. If you want to see all of our faces, most especially Caitlin, our wonderful guest, you can see us on YouTube. Have a good one, everybody. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 401-477-0023 or visit our website at www.desatellaw.com. That's www.desautella.com.